Hey everybody and welcome to the Paychex Business Series podcast. My name is Gene Marks, your host today. As you know, I write in a bunch of different places like The Hill and The Guardian, The Washington Times. Today we're talking economics with uh, Mark Zandi, who is the chief economist of Moody's Analytics. Mark has a uh, great uh, new podcast that's out. Um, and in addition to that, he will also be talking about inflation. Um, our conversation really kind of dug into why there are concerns about inflation, what inflation expectations are, uh, what some of the factors are that's impacting uh, potentially rising in price. And I'm going to get some forecasts, some predictions from Mark as to what he thinks inflation is going to be over the next few years. I think you'll find it very, very helpful and will also help you guide your business um, in this era of rising prices. All right. So, Mark, thank you very, very much for joining me today today. I am, I'm really glad that you're here. It's good to be here, Gene. Thanks for the opportunity. Sure. So, okay. So your title is Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. So uh, first of all, tell us what does Moody's Analytics do? Well, it's a big multinational company. Uh, I'm a small itty bitty part of it. Uh, you know, I sold my company to Moody's 15 years ago, an economic consulting firm, and we provide economic data analysis, analytics, modeling to a wide range of financial institutions, uh, government, um, uh, non-financial corporations, just a, a broad array of, of companies. Uh, so in fact, right now we're doing a lot of work on climate risk. So uh, as you know, in the financial system globally, there's a lot of concern about what climate risk means for uh, loans and securities, and we're helping financial institutions figure that out. Got it. So companies hire you guys like they, they are looking into getting new markets. They're looking at evaluating risks, like you just said, climate risk. Uh, they're looking for overall economic forecasts uh, in, in, within certain countries, certain areas. They return to you, Mark, and say like, OK, we need you to do this analysis for us. And that's what you guys do. Is that is that a fair? Yeah. Yeah. You know, everything from uh, the state of Virginia needs help determining what their rev tax revenues are going to be next year to, right. you know, uh, the federal government, uh, the, the federal housing finance uh, agency that regulates Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac is worried about mortgage credit risk. I mean, how many people are going to default on their mortgages to, uh, you know, the Indian Central Bank is uh, interested in, in understanding uh, the impact of cryptocurrencies on uh, the payment system in India. So it's pretty wide ranging. Got it. Okay, that's great. And good luck with that last topic. Um, <laughs> a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah I, can imagine. I can imagine. So uh, you're a chief economist. So what is your background? Are you you are a PhD economist, or where 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 does your training? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I was. Uh, I'm speaking to you from the suburbs of Philly. This is where I grew up. My kids uh, joke that I've been sheltering in place all my life. Uh, so I went to Penn undergrad. I went to Wharton for uh, business school undergrad, and then I got my PhD in economics uh, from uh, from Penn. I started uh, my company pretty much out of uh, my uh, graduate work, and then uh, 15 years later, I sold it to Moody's, and I've been part of Moody's uh, for the past 15 years. Well, wow. all right. That's great to hear. And I'm speaking to you from my uh, apartment in my home office in Center City, Philadelphia. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Really? Yeah. In Center City? Where, oh, okay. Where Same building where Marathon Restaurant is uh, off oh, of Rittenhouse okay. Square, like 19th and Spruce. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's where we are, everybody. And uh, it is, uh, it's funny. I didn't know that you were local. I got to, that's another yeah. topic for another time. But hey, all right, let's, let's get into the topics that um, I know our audience is interested in. And again, like I told you before we got, you know, started this up, uh, it's mostly small, you know, small businesses. So uh, it's inflation. Okay. So, so Mark, first of all, let's, you know, let's first of all talk about why there was so much talk of inflation in the air. What is, what is driving inflation and inflation expectations? 
Yeah, demand and supply. Yeah, pretty straightforward. So demand is picking right. up because the economy is coming back to life uh, on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, we're not quite there yet, but we're clearly moving in the right direction. You know, we're, you know, Center City Philly is, I think, open for business now, right? I mean, you can go to any restaurant. Yeah, there you go. 75% capacity right now. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. That'll go 100% pretty soon. And, right. you know, I was down in Florida for much of the winter and they're 100% open. So they're wide open. So true. Uh, <laughs> demand, a lot of demand, a lot of pent up demand. You know, vehicle sales in April were 18.5 million units. That's a, a record April sales month. That's a, a, you know, just boom like sales. Yep. And then, of course, supply is constrained, restrained because of the pandemic. I mean, everything kind of shut down and you know, people went off and you know did their thing. A lot of manufacturers and commodity producers pulled back on production. And getting all that stuff, all that back up and running, uh, getting global supply chains sorted out. Uh, and of course, the pandemic is still raging in many parts of the world, which complicates things uh, because a lot of what we consume is produced all over the world. Right. Uh, you know, you have to get it through the supply chain. So you got a lot of demand, uh, really boom-like demand, and you, the supply side is just trying to catch up. And so in that in that environment, you're seeing prices jump. You know, for everything from you know, lumber and copper to diapers to, uh, you know, packaging, raw materials, commodities, right? It's all, that's all part of the problem. Also, the other thing that happened was in the pandemic, all these industries that got nailed, like uh, the accommodation industry, the restaurant business, the rental car uh, industry, they yeah. cut airlines, they cut prices, right? Because, yeah. and so now all they're doing is getting those prices back up to what we consider to be more normal, but you're going from very low to now normal, that's a big increase in, in inflation. And so you're seeing these uh, jumps in prices. You know, it's funny that you, you mentioned, I literally just booked a flight to Dallas uh, for June today, 900 bucks round okay. trip from Philly to Dallas. And I think that's exactly what you just said. I mean, it's it's American Airlines catching up on, on you know, the price decreases that they had over the past year. There's supply chain issues. And, and you did mention about, you know, while this all gets sorted out, I mean, you know, supply chain is going to sort itself out eventually. Don't you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when prices go up, uh, you can make money. Uh, and when people can make money, uh, capitalism is a beautiful thing. You know, people <laughs> figure it out and they figure it out pretty fast. So I I expect the supply side of this economy to wake up pretty fast. You know, we got a few more months of high prices, spiking prices, jumps here and there. Yep. But I think by the fall, you know, by September, October, uh, the supply side will have caught up to the demand side of the economy and prices will start settling back in. Yeah, I'm definitely using some of your quotes for a piece I'm going to write because I do think by the fall um, for you know small businesses, um, things are going to start shaking out and, and the fears of inflation, uh, will, 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 I believe, will be tempered a bit. But we have a ways to go before we get there. So we talked about supply. You talked about demand. Um, what what role does labor play in all this, Mark? I mean, we hear about labor shortages. Every one of my clients um, are complaining that they can't find good people. That I mean, that's got to be driving the price of labor up. Yeah, so that's demand and supply too, right? So all of a sudden, all these restaurants open up. Uh, they need people. Uh, I need to get them back uh, all at once uh, across the country. Uh, but supply uh, is constrained for lots of reasons. I mean. Uh, you've got people who are still a little nervous about the pandemic, may not want to go back to work. Uh, you've got uh, moms and dads that are staying home with their kids because schools haven't uh, gone back to in-person learning, so they have to stay home with their kids. And then uh, the unemployment insurance, uh, the supplemental UI, that's 300 bucks a week. Uh, that's probably playing a role. 
Although I suspect that that's going to become less important because you got a lot of states now that are saying, hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give the 300 bucks. I'll take the money from the federal government. And now I'm going to give a signing bonus for anyone who wants to go back to work. So I, right. and as you get closer to the expiration of that supplemental UI, that's September, people, you know, I think workers are going to realize, hey, you know, I need to take a job. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to wait till September. So as we move into the summer months, you know, July, certainly by August, I think the uh, supply labor supply issues will start sorting themselves out. And by September, I think they're gone because schools will be reopened and everyone will get back to work. Yeah, I think I, I think all of that, it, it, I couldn't agree with you more. And that, that is good news to hear, assuming that all plays out. Let's talk about, you're talking about demand and supply. Let's talk about the demand and supply of money. Um, there has been, you know, the M2 money supply, which bank deposits, uh, you know, has, has gone up by like $5 trillion, I think, since the beginning of the pandemic, somewhere in that range. Which, and I don't know if you agree or not, but I, I think, um, you know, I think our, our, our Treasury and our Federal Reserve officials have learned a lot since the Great Depression, and that liquidity is very, very important for an economic system. So when the you-know-what hit the fan, they delivered and, and made sure the liquidity was there. So that's great. But we do have a big supply of money that's out there, you know, on, on deposit. And we also have, um, you know, obviously some, you know, multi-trillion dollar stimulus uh, spending that's going to happen. So do those, does, how does that impact inflation? Well, that goes to demand. Uh, so that all that, you know, the, the money sitting in the checking accounts uh, combined with all the pent up demand, people sheltering in place and not going to ball games or restaurants or traveling or getting their hair cut or buying cars. Uh, now they can, and they've got the cash. So that means those two things come together and that's why one of the reasons why demand is booming and taking off. And it's another reason to suspect that this economy is going to get back to full employment, which means an unemployment rate that's, you know, back to where it was pre-pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. three and a half percent ish, probably in, within the next 18 to 24 months. So very, very quickly. So this is this is now, as economists will call it, a, a V-shaped recovery. I, I didn't think we were going to have this, uh, you know, six months ago, but because of all of the government support uh, and because of the, the monetary support coming from the Fed, uh, that's a lot of juice. And that's, that means that this economy is, is roaring and is gonna roar until we get back to full employment. There, there is some reasonable concern that we're gonna shoot past full employment. It's gonna be so tight, the supply side of the economy can't catch up to demand and we have higher underlying rates of inflation. So that's a reasonable concern, but I think it's, I'd say bring it on. You know, our problem for the last 25 years has been that inflation's too low. Uh, it's been, you know, uncomfortably low. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, at least so far, I'd say this is uh, the, the, what we're, what's dead ahead of us is more of a feature than a bug. Why is inflation not a bad thing? Well, uh, you want some inflation uh, because if you don't have any inflation, so if you say the economy has zero, prices aren't growing. Mm -hmm. That mean that means some businesses are, are experiencing price cuts. They have to cut prices, right? Because the economy is not monolithic. It's a, it's a made up of a lot of different companies and lots of different businesses. So if it's zero, that means somebody's raising prices. Therefore, somebody's cutting prices. Right. You ask any small business person what the world feels like when they have to cut prices. What do they have to do? That's pretty difficult. I mean, it's sure. hard to manage a business in a declining price environment. So if you keep inflation at two, which is where the Fed wants to keep it through the business cycle, that means even the weakest businesses probably are around zero, no price increases. So some businesses are experiencing price declines because of the technology, and that's a difficult business uh, to, to manage. But generally, you want to make sure that you know, the economy just has enough inflation so that 
people aren't in that environment where they're having to navigate around a, a falling price environment. And the, the, the higher the inflation, again, without being too high, um, you know, is obviously that, that it contributes to increased wages as well, which theoretically also spurs more consumer spending. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, p- the other thing that happens is uh, uh, workers, as you can imagine, yeah. think of this as workers. Yeah. They have a problem if an employer comes to you and says, I'm going to cut your wage. You know, it can come to you and say, I'm not going to give you a big as big a wage increase next year because inflation is low. But if my employer comes to me and says, hey, Mark, uh, you know, you're getting 15 bucks an hour. Now you're going to get 14. That I mean, that that's that makes life difficult because I got debt payments. I got rent payments. I got mortgage payments. You know, I got things I got to pay and they're not getting cut in price. So, you you know, you don't want that to happen. So you want, again, a, a modicum level of inflation, which results in a modicum level of wage growth. So you don't have to actually cut people's wages, which again, you know, like a business person, if people have to manage uh, cutting their wages, that becomes pretty difficult. All right. I'm throwing all these questions at you because these are the questions I get from clients, you know, and and business owners worry about this stuff. So um, I'm going to get back to inflation, but kind of connected to it is um, overall deficits and national debt. I mean, I, you know, you know, I mentioned before about, you know, the multi-trillion dollars in proposed government spending over and above the stimulus you know, payments that have already been uh, legislated. Um, our national debt is something like 1.4 times our GDP, something you know, in that area. Um, tell us, tell us you know, as, as business owners, you know, are we concerned about that? Are you concerned about the levels of our national debt going forward? Yeah, I am. I mean, I would say, though, that that wouldn't have stopped me from providing all of the government support that was provided during the pandemic. Okay. Because if we hadn't have provided that support, good chance the economy would have evaporated uh, and the our fiscal problems would be even worse. Revenues would have been slashed even more. Uh, government su- uh, automatic government support, you know, because you know Medicaid and food stamps and unemployment insurance are hardwired into the system to try to mm-hmm. cut the blow. They would have ballooned out, and our fiscal problems would have been even worse. So. You know, we we had a Hobson's choice. We had, you know, there was no good choice. We took the least bad choice, which was, okay, let's, uh, this is a crisis. Uh, We're going to borrow money, navigate through, get to the other side. But, you know, uh, as economists say, there's no free lunch. You know, we now have a much higher debt load, which will become an issue as interest rates rise. And so we do need to really focus any new policy, in my view, any new policies we put in place uh, that uh, requires additional government spending or tax cuts means we've got to make it up somewhere else in, you know, government spending restraint or cuts somewhere else or tax increases somewhere else. And, you know, so you'll notice like the Build Back Better agenda that Biden put forward, that is paid for, you know, at least in paper, we can debate, you know, if it actually is paid for, but on paper is paid for over a 15 year period. Um, you know, you get a lot of infrastructure spending mm. one off, you know, a project you spend, it's done. And then he says, OK, I'm going to pay for that by uh, raising the tax rate on corporations and high, in- high income, high net worth households, which remains in place in perpetuity unless the future Congress takes it away. So if you do the arithmetic after 15 years, that's paid for. So you may we may not we may not agree on is that a good policy or not, but it is, in my view, good policy in the sense that it's sticking to the to the to the uh, to the principle that we now have to pay for you know what we do. Yeah, there's a growing number of economists that um, support modern monetary theory. 
um, which, and again, it, correct me if, I, if I'm explaining it wrong here, but the idea here is that uh, governments, as long as we're using our own currency, so this is different than like Greece, you know, that we're using not their own currency, um, can basically generate as much of their own currency as possible to spend um, as long as it's the economy has the capability of absorbing that. And there's sort of theoretically no limits to what that, you know, what, what, what can be spent, again, as long as the economy absorbs that. So the theory being that if a lot of money is going out of this infrastructure bill, some modern, you know, monetary theorists say we don't really need to have those tax increases because the money's going to go out to companies that will take it and spend it on employees and materials. You know, they're building bridges and roads and all that kind of stuff. What, what do you think of that theory? Do you think that it is, um, well, what do you think of modern monetary theory? I'm curious. Uh, I don't think much of it. I mean, I, you know, it's kind of the uh, analog to supply side theory, which I, yeah. you know, the, you know, the, I can cut taxes forever and they pay for themselves. So don't worry about it. And by the way, if they don't pay for themselves, don't worry. We'll just cut government spending. Right. <laughs> like that's so easy to do. Uh, and then on the monetary monetary <laughs> side is, oh, we'll, we'll increase government spending, generate a lot of ec economic activity. It'll pay for itself. And if it doesn't, don't worry. We'll raise taxes. We'll, we'll increase taxes. Right? So, you know, <laughs> we'll let the politicians decide that. <laughs> I don't think much of either theory. And by the way, the monetary, modern monetary theory is going to be tested pretty soon because what's going to happen here is we did borrow a boatload of money. You know, the amount of support provided, forget about Build Back Better, better agenda, up to this point, hmm. all the government support, the CARES Act last year, the American Rescue Plan, and, uh, you know, a few weeks ago, that's 25% of GDP that yeah. goes from the right to our deadline. So, in, you know, we're going to get back to full employment, inflation is going to pick up. So, we're going to see the limits of this idea that I can borrow and spend, you know, you know add in infinite in the future. It's just not going to happen. What if you know? What if that fails? I mean, give us a, a worst case scenario. I mean, there's is there, there's really nothing. There used to be a time mark where um, I tried to explain some of these things to my clients, and then I got bored of doing it because I felt like, well, there's really nothing you can do. You know, like, you know, I have a I have a client in Bristol, PA, up in Bucks County, and they like they make paper and film packaging products, and we can talk about the deficits all day. And they're like, I don't what do yeah, you know, I just got to get back to work and make sure I'm delivering my orders, you know? I mean, what impact does all of this have on us? Do we even understand it? Well, it, 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 when interest rates rise. So when, unless interest rates rise, you can't connect the dots. Yeah. It doesn't, so you say well, deficits and debt are a problem. Someone says, well, how, why? And if interest rates remain low, then there's no mechanism for that to hurt the economy. But you know, uh, we are getting, in, again, in my view, the economy is going to be so strong and inflation is going to pick up and interest rates are going to start to rise. They're already starting to rise. Long-term interest rates are already rising. And, uh, you know, a couple, three years down the road, interest rates are going to be high enough. They're going to mix in with the higher debt loads. Our interest payments on the debt are going to start to rise. And, you know, people are going to say, oh, no, I'm just going to spend more on interest expense servicing the debt than I'm going to be spending on the defense budget. That makes no sense to me. And therefore, politicians, policymakers can connect the dots in our mm. minds and say, hey, we got to do something. And we'll do it. And the last time we did it, by the way, it, it was when interest rates rose in the early 1990s. That was Bill Clinton and Ro Robert Rubin was the Secretary of Treasury. Those yeah. were the evangel vigilantes. Interest rates rose. They could connect the dots. Uh, Clinton pulled back on his uh, government spending uh, plans. And we had a budget surplus by the end of the decade. So right. you know, that's the dynamic, I think, that has to occur. If that doesn't occur, if I'm wrong and interest rates don't rise, then we're, no one's going to connect the dots and we're going to continue to add to deficits and debt.
So back to interest rates and inflation. Um, so I, my, my take from you is that you you do, for the most part, agree with you know uh, Fed Chairman Powell and Treasury Secretary Yellen that this rise in inflation is is somewhat temporary. It's not a long term rise. You don't know, think that that is a chronic issue. Um, and I see you nodding at that, so that that, you know, that that's good to hear. What, as a business owner, can do you, would you be forecasting for inflation over the next few years? Well, the Fed's uh, target is something over two percent, mm-hmm. uh, two and a quarter percent per annum, on a measure of inflation called the core consumer expenditure inflator. Translating that into consumer price inflation, which I think most businesses would uh, be more uh, uh, can get their minds around, would be about two and a half percent inflation. So if you saw you know, two and a half percent inflation on a consistent basis over the next two, three, four years. I say, you know, that sounds about right to me. Yeah, and it's funny. I don't know how old you are, but I mean, I remember when I just started working, um, you know, in Philly. There was it was in the eighties, and inflation was like fifteen percent. Morgan, you know, interest rates were like eighteen percent. It was like some crazy time. So with all of this, you know, yelling and screaming about inflation. You're you're predicting, you're forecasting that we're looking at maybe two and a half percent. Yeah, yeah, we're not going back to the you know early '80s when we were kids, and you know it was like a, a, a double-digit inflation in in interest rates. I mean, at, the, at that time, we had problems with uh, you know uh, oil price embargoes, and that's when yes. oil really was a key uh, input into many of our activities. Manufacturing was a lot more important to the economy. We didn't produce as much oil. You know, now we produce as much as we consume. And so when prices rise, it doesn't mean nearly as much. And the other big difference is, you know, back then, uh, the Federal Reserve did not understand the role of inflation expectations, which you had mentioned earlier. Yeah. And, you know, when, in, when oil prices rose, they focused on the negative impact that had on the economy, not the impact it had on inflation. So they kept interest rates low for too long. And that, that reinforced the inflationary pressure. got into wages and you got into a wage. The other thing is you had a lot of COLA agreements, unionization was a lot higher, so you had a lot of cost of living adjustments and wage contracts. You know, so we live in a very, very less globalized economy. So there's, you know, I can go on and on. There's many, many differences between now and then, which makes it, it just not likely. I mean, I, I mean, I run many scenarios in my work. You know, yeah. I produce that for my clients. I don't have a, a scenario where I get anywhere back close to, I have, I have a stagflation scenario, low growth, high inflation, but high inflation is four, five, 6%. It's not 10, 11, 12%. Okay. So let's take that worst case scenario and then I'm going to let you go. But I, I just, so let's take, let's say that, um, you know, you're, you're marginally incorrect. It's not two and a half percent. Let's say it's three and a half percent inflation over the next couple of years, which really is, you know, you go look at it as close to doubling what the inflation rate is you know, now. Um, I know you're an economist and not necessarily like a, an operations manager of a business per se, but um, what would you say, you know, Margaret, if like, okay, listen, our, you know, we got budgets to do, we see your know, costs are going to rise. They're, you know, some of them are going to double, uh, you know, increase, you know, what, what type of operational steps do you think companies should be taking if they do believe that inflation is going to go up to that extent to protect themselves? Do you have any ideas? Yeah, I mean, you should be focused like a laser beam on your the productivity of your workforce and and on your your operations. You know, it yeah. depends on what you do for a you know do for a living, but uh, that's the way to address uh, inflationary pressures. You become much more productive, and you invest in uh, things that will improve productivity, which we have not. Many businesses have not been doing, perhaps because inflation has not been an issue. They've not been you know facing these kind of problems. They've not really had severe labor shortages, you know, persistent severe labor shortages, 
or you know in, inability to get you know certain products lumber or copper or aluminum or you know whatever mm-hmm. it is so uh you know, i think you need to we need to double down again and think really carefully about how we improve uh our use of uh, everything uh, from labor to lumber uh you know and that's what we that's i think what uh what the businesses will need to do to address the uh, the higher inflationary environment that uh, that's dead ahead Mark Zandi is the chief economist at Moody's Analytics. Uh, Mark, what is your uh, website at Moody's? Oh, I did want to plug uh, my podcast called Inside oh. Economics. So Inside Economics, uh, uh, you can find it on uh, Apple. And um, it's not, you know, it's, uh, this was very entertaining. There's a lot of competition, but I think you'd enjoy mine as well. Uh, oh, I did. well, first of all, I'm a big podcast listener. I didn't even know you were going to, you were going to, you, you had one. Um, which is bad on me, and um, I will. Two months, just two months out. So okay. I feel new. a little bit. I feel a little bit better. I do listen to a couple of other economists that you probably know. Um, so I will. Um, Tyler Cowen is one of them. Has got a really oh, good cool. one. Um, I will absolutely subscribe to it. In fact, I'm going to ride my bike pretty soon, and maybe I'll listen to uh, yeah. a couple of episodes. Oh, so. We talked about inflation. Uh, we do it every Friday afternoon. So we talked about CPI inflation, which came out, you know, on the hot side, as you know. So you might find it interesting. That's great. All right, Mark, thank you very much for joining us. Guys, if you enjoyed this conversation, if you need some advice, uh, tips, help in running your business, please visit us at paychecks.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. My name is Gene Marks. Thanks again for joining us. We will see you on our next segment. Take care. This podcast is property of Paychecks Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.